Welcome to CEF Insights, your source for closed-end fund information and education brought to you by the Closed-End Fund Association. My name is Diane Merritt. Before we start our discussion, I would note the Closed-End Fund Association is holding an educational conference for registered investment advisors on March 10th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. For more information and registration, please go to www.cefadvisorsummit.com. Today we are joined again by Tom Rosine, Head of Research Services with Lipper from Refinitiv and author of the Fund Market Insight Report, which provides in-depth monthly commentary on the closed-end fund market. We are happy to have you with us today, Tom. Diane, thanks for having me. Tom, you recently published your report covering January 2020. You study over 500 closed-end and interval funds regarding performance, premiums and discounts, corporate activity. What trends are you seeing in the closed-end fund space as we got the new year started? Well, we've actually seen a continuation of the proliferation of uh, interval funds. We'll talk about that, I think, a little bit later. And also a continuation of rights offering uh, being used by a lot of the fund families uh, to raise new money. As we all know, closed-end funds generally have a fixed amount of money. And uh, so we've seen uh, an increase uh, in new funds offerings. And also we have a continuation of mergers where we're seeing, for instance, like single-state munis going to national munis. Obviously, they're trying to capture economies of scale there. And then we're also seeing broadly based MLP energy funds kind of coming in and broadening their expansion to infrastructure and MLP funds. So we've seen that. And then the last piece, obviously, as we always looked at closed-end funds, we've seen a continuation of a focus on income. Your data breaks out closed-end funds into over 20 classifications. What classifications were the best performing for the month and which sectors struggled? Well, basically what we saw was uh, a market that was very up and down. It was a roller coaster ride as far as returns go. And uh, we took a look at, you know, we heard stories about uh, a rising Middle East crisis, uh, your tensions there, weaker than expected economic data, but it was offset by better than expected fourth quarter earnings. Uh, they signed trade deal and like, but then we saw a couple bad things reported the uh, coronavirus and also oil took a tumble. So this really impacted the returns uh, we saw in the closed end fund uh, universe. And people, if we take a look at equity funds first, people were actually uh, putting their money to work betting on income generation. We talked about that when we first opened this up, but basically we saw utility closed end funds up about 2.39% on a NAV basis, convertible security funds were up about 1.39%, and real estate funds were up about 0.64%. But at the bottom of the barrel, I told you that uh, oil basically tanked. There was uh, news out uh, that basically U.S. inventories had risen, and uh, we saw some of the biggest percentage declines that we've seen in quite some time, probably about five months, in oil prices. So we saw energy MLP funds down 7.31%, natural resources funds down 7.03%. So really kind of a, a quagmire in that area. But when we take a look back at the fixed income point of view, we saw muni bond funds up about 2.62, domestic fixed income funds up about 0.77, world income funds up about 0.55. So really, it was quite a good story for the fixed income market. You know, overall, we were up in good single and uh, single-digit numbers, but uh, certainly strong. California muni bond funds were up 2.91%, best performing category. On the domestic side, we saw corporate bond funds, triple B rated up 2.09%, and even emerging market currency funds were kind of able to mitigate, lowest category, by the way, in the fixed income side, but we were able to mitigate losses in the only ones that actually uh, suffered loss, but only to the tune of 0.11%. So it was really quite a story and a change in market patterns that we've been seeing over the last several months. Is this a change in what you have seen in the previous months? 
It is. So one of the things that we saw, if we take a look at the January numbers that we saw, we saw that basically uh, it was almost a flip. We saw, you know, oil prices were on the rise uh, You know, in, in December. Our top performers, which I told you was just our bottom performers, MLP funds were up to 10.3%. Real estate funds uh, were at the bottom at 0.21. So we've really seen a flip. And then on the other side, I remember I told you emerging market was the worst performing debt funds. When we take a look at it, they were down but 0.11, but they were the best performing fixed income up by 3.82%. So again, everything got turned on its head this month, the month of January. Closed-end funds can trade at a premium or a discount to net asset value. What were the trends in premium and discount behavior? Well, the discounts narrowed in January, which we kind of expected. Uh, remember, there's a lot of tax loss selling at the end of the year, and you know, we saw kind of an inordinate amount of widening of discounts on the equity side. So what we saw overall median discount narrowed about 83 basis points for all closed-end funds to 4.95%. Uh, this beat the 12-month moving average of the median discounts uh, of 6.70, so really quite a low discount uh, if you take a look at that. Equity uh, narrowed uh, 160 basis points to 5.4% uh, discount, and fixed income narrowed about 93 basis points to 4.69% discount. So the numbers are looking uh, and are improving as we look at the last 12 or 13 months. How do premiums and discounts compare to their historical averages? So when we're taking a look at this, remember I told you that uh, they look a lot better. If we take a look at 13 months ago, uh, all closed-end funds traded at a discount of 8.27% compared to a 4.95%. So we are seeing a little bit more confidence in the market. Keep in mind, uh, a year ago, if we're looking back in January and December, remember we had the meltdown late in December of 2018, and so 2019 started off with a whimper rather than a bang. And now when we're taking a look at uh, the numbers, obviously they've halved in that. So again, 8.27 to a 4.95, so quite a change. Which sectors saw the greatest improvement and the most downdraft? So we saw that the world income funds witnessed the best improvement or the best narrowing of discounts, 370 basis points. That's a huge amount to 2.7% versus 8.42% on January 31st, 2019. So that was uh, quite an improvement. And really, I don't have any particular group that I can say uh, did poorly. Everybody was a narrowing, and so I didn't see any widening of discounts uh, in January. Tom, there was quite a bit of corporate activity in 2019. What corporate activity trends do you expect over the course of this year, and what impact do you see on the closed-end fund market? Well, I think we're going to see a continuation of funds raising a new money via rights offering. It gives the closed-end funds, especially when they're doing well, you know, they're consolidating, they're trying to get economies of scale to get their expenses down. They are now, you know, stepping up and rather than trying to come up with a whole new issue, they're doing the consolidation, which I talked about a little bit earlier, right? So we're seeing, again, the single state communities emerge into national communities and the like. But particularly for them to raise new money, they go to the rights offering. And so I think we're going to see uh, a little more, you know, and we've been seeing it over the last 12, uh, 18 months, funds coming more often with a rights offering and allowing people to inflate the cash under management, but also participate in that attraction of uh, net new money as well. Let me give you an example. We saw that uh, Cohen Steers Quality Income Fund basically had a rights offering uh, in January. So that trend continues. The Cohen Steers Quality Income uh, Realty Fund, our QI, had a rights offering. But again, I could go back through a slew of these over the last several months that we've seen uh, rights offering and uh, fund families raising a little bit more money for their funds. 
Tom, you also follow interval funds, which differ somewhat from traditional closed-end funds. What activity are you seeing among interval funds? Well, in the last time we talked, we talked about what happened in 2019. Of the 36 new closed-end funds that were brought to market, we saw 26 of those were interval funds. And certainly, we expect that to happen as well. In fact, in January, we had two new offerings come to market. First one was an interval fund. Uh, basically, we saw the Hartford Schroeder Opportunistic Income Fund come out there. Um, it was an interval fund, and it was a, a rollout of additional share classes. So they already had a fund out there. They added an, another new fund uh, by you know bringing it to market and bringing it out as an interval fund. But on the flip side, we did see the first conventional fund of the year as well come out as BlackRock Health Sciences Fund, uh, this Trust 2 Fund, BMEZ, and uh, that came out. So we're seeing uh, fund families bring these new products to market, but certainly uh, the big push as of late has been for the interval funds. Do you expect interval funds to gain a greater interest among investors? I do believe it's going to, uh, I'm not going to say remain the same. But I do believe we're going to see more fund families uh, bring this. It, it's easier for them to do that. They don't have to worry about any syndication rights. They don't have to worry about whether or how you know how well the uh, IPO is offered. They can actually come. They can show you know start building a track record and have people bring money into their coffers. There's a drawback to that, though. Of course, you know then they have to worry about their quarterly refundings. Most of these interval funds have quarterly refundings, uh, which they offer to do a tender offer of a sort of a certain amount of their assets under management. But there is no guarantee in that, and so I think there you know, people may start to evaluate it because we've had this huge proliferation of interval funds. But again. For the income investor who says, you know what, I really don't need to have liquidity. I'm looking for income or I'm looking for a particular management style. I do believe it's popular and I I do believe this trend will continue as we go uh, into 2020. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Diane, thanks for having me. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another CEF Insights podcast. For more educational content, please visit our website at www.cefa.com.